Welcome back to the podcast. You are listening to Let It Out with me, your host, Katie Delbout. And today on the podcast, I have yoga teacher and author, Jessamyn Stanley. And I am so excited for you guys to hear this conversation. It's long, it's meandering. She's super wise, very interesting, very smart, and just a delight, to be honest. I, I loved talking with her so much. We talk about social media and presence. We talk about talking to talk. We talk about gossip. We talk about yoga, of course, and relationships and cell phone addiction and spirituality and feminism. And actually what she talked about in terms of feminism was so articulate. And I can't wait for you to hear that and everything else she shares in this episode And I'm going to get right to it, but first of all, thank you so much for listening to last week's episode where I was the one being interviewed. It was my birthday and the birthday of the podcast. I've been doing this podcast for over four years, and it's my favorite thing that I do. So thank you guys for listening every week, and if you're new, thank you for listening right now. It really means a lot to me. I love doing this, and I love getting to talk to people like today's guest and many of the guests that I've had on, all of the guests that I've had on. Anyway, all right, today's sponsor is Carav Vitamins. I love Carav. If you've been listening to the show, you've heard about them before, but they're the coolest company because what you do is you go to their website, takecareof.com, and you take this really great quiz which asks you questions about your lifestyle and your diet and your energy levels, and from there, it curates for you a custom pack of supplements that is personalized with your name on it and it's really convenient because it takes everything you need and puts it into this little package with really great ingredients. They use the best ingredients in their supplements and it actually helps you save money and time when it comes to your supplements because you know we can't get everything from food necessarily and sometimes it's great to supplement on certain things and this really takes out the guesswork and gives you everything you need in this beautiful little package and I really love them. And you can try them for 50% off your order 50% off that's half of the percentage is off and you just use the code Katie at checkout that's my name k-a-t-i-e and you can get 50% off your first order so just try it go to their website take the quiz and just see what you think it's really beautiful their packaging is beautiful I love them as a brand and as a company and I really stand behind them and I take their supplements myself so thank you Kara for sponsoring the show thank you for listening and I really I, I loved this episode a lot and I'm excited for you guys to hear it. So that's all I have to say. Again, thank you to everyone who listened last week because I liked being in the hot seat actually, even though I was sick and you can kind of still hear it in my voice now. I had a blast getting to answer the questions from the Facebook group and I just, I love connecting with you guys and and talking to you on the internet and in real life when we get to meet. So thank you for listening to the podcast. I love you and I'll talk to you after with the emoji for the episode. So I've been liking starting this podcast recently with the present before we get into talking about your past and the future and what you have coming up. But what have you been learning recently? What have you been realizing recently? What has been on your mind like in the last maybe week or month, but super in the present? Mm. 
Hmm. Even something that's just like exciting to you in some way. I mean, I think the something that keeps coming up for me is how can I continue to be um, present for the people that I love? Because I have struggled a lot with being present within myself and being just being in this moment and being very, very um, happy with what's happening in this moment. Even if what's happening is shitty, being okay with the fact that I'm here and in terms of the people who are in my life, that not people from the internet, not followers, not, I'm talking about like my, my partner, my family members, my friends, the people who have been here for me my entire life, how can I best be present for them when they need for me to be present? And I think that um, that is something, especially with the the current pacing of my life that has become way more important to me than anything else. And because there is so much opportunity within this, um, the whole social media yoga, like monster, there's so much opportunity to lose yourself and to lose um, the person that has their feet on the ground and has, um, has their eyes and hearts near those who they love and that is a balance that I'm always trying to both find and maintain and I think that that to me is it just feels like extremely important right now because as things move along and as time and this is something that I've been because it's not even really just like I've been thinking about a lot about thinking a lot about blah, blah, blah. I'm thinking about it a lot over the last like month or so I'd say but especially I mean in some form or another I've been thinking about it for about the last two years and it's because as things have grown for me and as things have changed and as I've like had new projects and new people come into my life and spend increasingly more and more time in environments that are not my home um, spending time in cities where like places like New York and LA where everyone is focused on making money and getting one over on somebody else and like even even within the yoga world these are the concerns and it's just feels critical to me that I maintain who I am you know who I truly am and so that's definitely like on my mind for sure Mm, wow yeah I relate and agree and was nodding so much through all of that. <laughs> um, I think, you know, I I struggle too with being present and it's something I think about all the time where, first of all, just realizing that I'm not being present is something mm-hmm. that just like having that moment of, oh, I'm just mindlessly scrolling or this moment's uncomfortable mm-hmm. so I'm going to cope or numb by, you know, doing a behavior that, is fine but not maybe my best self um and I guess my question for you is like how do you realize that you're not in the moment and when you do remember how do you remember to come back to it because I think for me it's like sometimes I notice and I still choose to cope 
instead mm-hmm. of solve and that's okay but at least I'm aware and then there's other times not- where I'm not even aware that I'm that I'm not in the moment and that I'm I'm just I'm just on autopilot and that's where I'm like not okay with it does that make sense well I feel like no that makes perfect sense I feel like um I I can't worry about the times when I'm not in the moment because I'm not in the moment. So like that's that's not the point. And, and something that my practice has really helped me become more okay with is that just because you're not doing something the way that you wish that you were doing it, it is fine. A and B that's your practice is to experience that and to sit with that. And so I think it's not, I think that it's more important to celebrate when you do recognize it, because then that will encourage you to continue to recognize it and to continue to like find ways to. And I think that the way of, um, of kind of quote dealing with it is to, it just evolves with whatever the situation is and wherever you are and who, what's happening. I mean, an an example situation for me is like, I spend a lot of time in Ubers Mm -hmm. and on planes and particularly in the Uber especially if I like just got off a plane, I'm maybe not trying to talk to the driver. I'm not trying to like get, learn about how they're from whatever place and they studied what thing and we're doing blah, blah. I'm just trying to sit and maybe look out the window. But because I am so awkward and I avoid, I always am like, I don't like having conversations with people that I don't know. And if I don't want to talk to someone, then I'll feel compelled to like look at my phone or, you know, like occupy myself to some degree. And a practice for me in that is to just not look at the phone, you know, just look at the window and it's awkward and you're just sitting there in silence. And if they say something and I don't want to talk to them, then I will quickly shut the conversation down and I'll have that interaction that I'll have the thing that I don't want to happen. And just let it happen and see how bad it is. And then you see that it's actually not bad. And it's thing, it's it's basically that over and over again. It's like, just put yourself into the situation and then, you know, it'll be fine. And then whatever is going to happen will happen. Yeah. And you don't have to obsess over whether or not, like, how you're going to react or what's going on. And I think that um, it is such a practice because... I am so good for slipping. Another thing that I am, oh my gosh, I can be a horrible gossip. It's such a bad habit. I learned it from all of the proud Southern women that came before me. It's basically an art form for Southerners, like talking shit. And I am so much more conscious of it now than I used to be. Because the, what's the reason to talk shit? Because you feel superior. Why do you feel like you're superior? not superior. Um, I feel small. Okay. So you're talking shit because you feel small and you want to make somebody else feel small. And I'll have conversations like that with myself. And that's the practice It's like just trying to get down to the root of it. Like you spend the time that you would spend berating yourself, just asking yourself questions. It's kind of like being your own therapist, but I also feel like it's just so, I mean, it's such a process. Like you just can't, I mean, and you can't get pissed when you don't do it because that's, that's not the point. The point isn't to be mad at yourself. The point is to acknowledge it. Yeah. And I think, first of all, all of that was amazing. And secondly, (laughs) I think, like you said, positive reinforcement of these things 
is so much better than negative reinforcement of just being Mm -hmm. mad at yourself that just kind of keeps the feedback loop going and going and going and I think if you can it's that moment before right it's like right before if you can have the awareness then great but like you were saying all of those moments when we don't it's you know we can't even think about because we don't notice them and Mm -hmm. I guess just I don't know not being hard on ourselves but I I had someone on the podcast recently we we also talked about how it can be like a bonding experience for people of like mm-hmm. I want to make a new friend with this person and I know mm-hmm. something that they will find interesting about mm-hmm. someone else and so I'm going to say it and I think it's just I don't know it's all these like human things that are so complicated and so um ingrained in us that they become on autopilot but it's like if you can switch that pattern or if you can like be okay with being in an uber and not looking at your phone one time then you can probably do it again and again and and like just not talking I think (laughs) I've been Mm -hmm. in so many situations where like I'm on the way to the airport or I'm just with a friend and like I, I have this bad habit of just feeling like I need to be speaking when um, exactly. I'm not always hosting a podcast. Like, it's okay if there's a <laughs> silence. <laughs> Maybe not right knows. now, but. <laughs> oh, my God. I completely identify with that because I'm totally that person who's like, I need to hear my voice. I'm not talking enough. Or it's like, it's really awkward. It's really quiet. I feel like I should talk because no one's talking. Yep. And it's such a beautiful practice to just be like, I'm just not going to talk. Yeah. Maybe I just won't talk, you know? Yeah. Like just try and then and then when I catch myself talking too much I will like stop myself from talking and it means like stopping in the middle of a sentence and it's super awkward and I feel that it's awkward for people all the time I literally do this all the time I'm sure I'm probably going to do it in this conversation (laughs) and like and well maybe not now maybe not in this just because we're supposed to be talking but like I feel like there are times where I'm just like, oh my God, Jessamine, like how long have you been talking? So I feel that. Yeah, I I have a catchphrase now that my boyfriend tells me that I say all the time, which is like, I will stop and he'll be like, he tells me that I say this all the time, but I'll just be like, why am I talking? Why am I telling you this? Like, it's some, I'm just, I'm just filling the space and I realize it and I literally say that. Why am I talking? And yeah, I think I definitely do it on this podcast, even where I'm rambling. And I'm like, okay, I'm the one that needs to keep the thread going. This feels very meta, like I'm talking about this during, but I like lose my train of thought and I'll just be like, well, I have to just keep talking, keep talking, keep talking, because I could just say, oh, I lost my train of thought and I don't really remember what we're talking about. Here's another question I just thought of, you know? But instead, I just like keep, I feel like I'm doing it right now. I'm going to just. That is amazing. You're not doing it right now. This is hilarious. It's like, literally everything I've wanted right here it's so good yeah yeah it's it's just so funny and we think we if we look at our phones that's like the ultimate um you know that that's an okay time for there not to be talking is if you're looking at your phone it's like then it's okay which is also yeah exactly silly. exactly and it's so sad though because I think that this kind of leads into why social media is so popular and why uh, apps like Instagram are so popular and why I feel like um, the connect the reason that people are um, interested in my social channels is not necessarily because they're like 
particularly interested in yoga, though some are. It's not really because they're like particularly interested in body positivity, though some are. I think that it's because I'm being authentic and genuine, and because we're so detached from the other people that are around us, it's like, oh fuck, while I'm looking at my phone, I can actually interact with a human being, like yeah. a real person who's just being the way that they are off of the internet and on the phone this is great you know and it's like it feels like a kind of connection but yeah. it's it's not at the same time and the um there's this girl in south korea i think either south korea or japan and she does this blog or youtube where it's literally her just eating dinner at her desk have you heard of this no but it's like so she just like sits at her desk and takes does videos of herself eating and she's like insanely popular yeah, because sure. so many people who are tech people they don't leave their like they don't leave their desks to eat so they eat dinner with her and that shit is wild to think about because yeah. like there are so many people who are having this experience because we live in such a digital age like everything is you're not we're not connecting with one another the way that we used to yeah and i think that um while i i think there are a lot of benefits to social media um, I think there are a lot of benefits to the internet, obviously, but I think there are a lot of negatives also. And mm -hmm. the loss of human communication is the big, biggest one, probably. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I wanted to talk to you about social media anyway, so I'm glad it, it came up now. How do you manage your relationship with it? And how do you find that, if, if you can, if any of us even can, I think... Mm, I'll speak for myself, I definitely am addicted to my phone, and I think most of us are walking around as addicts to our phone, but how do you balance your relationship with it? I mean, like any pre-Android, I definitely feel a strong connection to my tech, to my devices, and like, I rely on them in ways that I so wish that I didn't. Like, I'm grateful that I learned how to write and learned how to read a map and read not on a computer screen before this wave that we're in right now because kids, they don't even know how to read a fucking map. Like, they're yeah. just like, oh, I, I need map app. Like, they're literally like, what were you doing before map app? And so yeah, I feel like I feel that like, in a lot of ways. Exactly, exactly. So it's like, I am... I'm definitely tapped into it, but in terms of my social media, I feel a very distinct disconnection between who I really am and who is in front of other people. Because even though everything that I put on the internet is genuine, authentic, like this is really how I'm feeling in this moment, there is like curated thought, but only so much as like, I just want for my shit to look good. Otherwise I'm just being raw. But even with that, I mean, people are judging their, are feeling as though they have a connection with me based upon like less than a thousand photos on Instagram. Mm. And I'm, like, I don't know if the person who posts primarily cat photos and pizza and like work parties, if they feel like all of those things are representative of their life. Like that's all that happens in their life. But yeah. like my life is a lot more complicated than anything that I put on social media. And as a result, and that's on purpose. Like there are, as much as I talk about things that happen to me, there's so many things that I don't talk about. And it's because if you don't have that disconnect, if you don't have like some, just at least like 
and half an inch gap between you and the machine, then you will become the machine. Mm. And you have to, especially when like your career is based around that kind of work. And we live in a society of people who identify themselves by their career so that like you are what you do. I don't want to be what I do. Like I am, I am Jessamine. I have an Instagram. These things are not, I'm not, they're not the same thing. And I've seen the the reason that I'm so, this is like, it's conscious. It is, I'm constantly thinking about it, like trying to increase the separation. Um, And I think about it a lot because I'm watching people be eaten by this machine. Like every time that I go to like, a con, like a VidCon, BeautyCon, anytime that you take an influencer trip, anytime that I'm around people who do this kind of work, or even just like, you know, influencer events, especially like yoga influencer events, because this is no more true than within the yoga spectrum of social media. But it's like, everyone gets so, um, they get their identities lost in the social media presence. And your identity is something that um, you can't really, it's hard to get it back. You know, you can, but it's hard. And I think that, I mean, okay, I'll give you an example. Um, Someone that is an extremely prominent yoga teacher on Instagram. I'm not going to say her name, but she is, she is very famous and on Instagram, which is a weird kind of fame anyway. But, um, she posted on her Snapchat one time that someone had hacked her Facebook and in the video she was crying and she was like, um, Oh my God. Like, I feel like they, I feel like they've stolen my identity. Like, I can't believe that somebody did this to me. Actually, I think they hacked her Instagram. It doesn't matter. It's relevant. Point is she's crying about it and she was all upset. And I was thinking, why are you crying about your social media? Because like now, especially because yoga is supposed to be about looking within yourself to see your true self. It's not about like how many people like this profile that they can see on their phone. And it's not even really that having an emotional response to it is a problem. It's showing that response to people who, to the hundreds of thousands or maybe even millions, I don't know, to the ton of people who are watching you, you're giving them the impression that this is what yoga is, that yoga is all about the perception, that it's all about the imagery and that, um, that your identity should be tied up in it. And that to me is highly problematic. And I don't really care because I think that like, that well then that's the yoga with that that you're trying to like figure out like I mean like that's her yoga that's whatever but it's also just kind of like you know what are we doing here what is the um I don't know I'm going a lot of places and, and I'm talking a lot so I'm going to stop in the middle of the sentence right <laughs> <laughs> no it I I understand and I think that that's interesting I think the the thing with with Instagram and I guess why I really like podcast because to go back to what you were what we were talking about about at the beginning about being present is that's a whole nother thing is like when there's a moment and you want to share it that takes you out of the moment 
Whereas mm-hmm. like, I do like this platform that we're doing right now with podcasting because, and I think the reason why I've stuck with it for so long and that I enjoy it is because for this hour or 90 minutes or however long, my phone's on airplane mode and mm-hmm. I'm just doing this. Like I'm just mm-hmm. in this conversation with you. And if I, if I start to think about, you know, what I'm doing later or what I'm wearing or what I'm eating later, or whatever, I and not in the moment and I literally like will mess I'll the podcast will be ruined because I'll like sound silly and you know so I like ha- it forces me to be present for with someone and having this like long form conversation which I think is lost in our lives now largely and I think that's one of the reasons why podcasts have been popularized because we've lost these long form conversations in life so we like to hear other people have them maybe um, or have that's them ourselves. Yeah, I that's, don't know. That's a very interesting. I had also been thinking, like, why are podcasts so popular? And I thought it was because, um, well, I think it's because of the reason that you just gave, and also because um, I think this is obviously the next evolution of radio. And I think that humans really have not moved on from enjoying, like, listening to long form radio, like, listening to, I mean, there's a reason Storytelling. that radio was so pop exactly like hearing stories and and then also going to that like wanting to feel a connection with someone else um when the podcasts that I love are where I feel like I'm a part of the conversation like I'm the third person or the you know the the second person or whatever that um and I feel like that need to really feel a connection and to hear something that maybe you haven't heard before and to have your mind provoked that that is a natural human desire and podcasts definitely really speak to that but in terms of the like not utilizing your phone for specific periods of time that's absolutely something that like I that's so that's like a whole other arm of the how do you maintain you know this whole social media thing and also still be a person and not a computer Mm -hmm. and I think that um for me it definitely means setting boundaries like if I'm with my partner I'm not on my phone or if I am it's just to take a photo very briefly of like something that we ate or something that's happening but like I don't I, I want to be engaged then like if I'm with my parents I'm with them. Like, we're not, I'm not on my phone. And it's like that with my friends, like, as much as possible. Because then you'll be in situations where, like, like, if you, if we all go out to a bar or something and, like, a bunch of people are on their phone, then you might, like, check your phone. But in general, I'm trying to practice this, like, you know, like looking around and sipping my drink and just sort of, like, being in the space and not being in something else. And that if I am, because to me also, the phone and all of that, it is very much work. I rely on it so much, but it's also very much work. So, like, in the moments where I don't have to look at it, I really would rather not. And also, excuse me, um, the it's more like the aimless things that will kind of get you, mm-hmm. where it's like, hmm, nothing's happening for this exact moment. I'm not thinking about anything right now. So why don't I just aimlessly scroll through and like Facebook or Instagram? And right. then it's like, these are minutes of my life that I cannot get back looking at things that I did not need to look at. And like, mm-hmm. why is this even happening? And, but the times when I really um, struggle with it are right before I go to bed and right when I wake up in the morning. And those are the times when I really don't want to use my phone yeah. because the, 
looking at it right before bed it's just like oh my god it's like oh my god it's just oh my, it, oh my god i hate it so much mm-hmm. i feel like it pulls out my energy it makes my mind crazy it makes it harder to go to sleep it's just so negative and then in the morning if the first thing that i do and i use the alarm on my phone so the first thing that i do is often look at my phone because it's like i'm turning off the alarm and if i like let's say that i got an email while i was sleeping that's just like because i push notifications we're like obviously i'm grateful for them but they fuck so many things up like you so like you wake up oh, what a beautiful day, had a great dream, or didn't dream, woke up, and there's you wake up to like five push notifications about something, and, and yeah. or five different things, and then it's like, oh. and my thing now is, unless it is truly urgent, I'm not looking at it. I'm going to go to the bathroom, I'm going to do my practice, I'm going to like take a shower, and then after those things are done, then I can look at it. Yeah. Because if that's the very first thing, it's just... And you're responding all day. Exactly. And you're, you're, you start out in a place of combat as opposed to just like, just getting your shit together and feeling comfortable and feeling in your own body. And then you get, then you can go into combat mode. Yeah. Yeah. I've been really liking, if I can, which I don't do every day, but trying to keep my phone on airplane mode in the morning until I like do the things I need to do for myself, the like non-negotiable things, and then look at it, but not always possible. And kind of same thing in the evening. And then what you said about, you know, when you're with your partner or with your family or with your friends, like taking a photo of what you want to take a photo of and then, and then posting it later. I, I like that. And I, and I do that too, for the most part, but I feel like, because this is the part of social media that, that I really want to get into. And I guess, Maybe this is self-serving to like, because I'm personally curious about this right now and I would love your thoughts on this, but I think other people probably will be with us. So I also have all the same feelings as, as you do about it, taking us out of the moment, everything we we're talking about. But at the same time, I love it. And I love, mm-hmm. you know, no, watching exactly. my Instagram story at the end of a, a, a really fun oh, day yeah. or like oh, I yeah. love you know, it, it's kind of like a gratitude journal for the day. That's the way I look at it. Absolutely. Or like, oh yeah, that moment was really lovely. Or like, you know, I, I had a really great weekend, um, the other weekend. And like that Monday I was watching, I had saved my story and I just like sat there like watching it several times because it made me really happy. Yes. Um, Yo, yes. And <laughs> well, I heard, no, sorry, please. Oh no, no, no. I was, I was just going to yeah. say like, I really just want to hear your thoughts on, I'm going to like toss it to you, but I just wanted to say like, <laughs> I feel like, I don't know, it's just, it's that balance of like, I like to relive, I like taking photos of things so I get to make it longer and relive it later and share it with other people and it becomes more of a conversation. But at the same time, it's true that it does take me out of the moment that I'm in. So it's like sometimes just being in the moment and sometimes sharing it. But Mm -hmm. here's the thing that, this is the part that I really want your feedback on because I heard this on a podcast last week or maybe it was just like on NPR anyway doesn't matter the point is I heard this thing where um they were saying like when something really good happens a reaction is to instantly call your mom the person who was being interviewed said this she's like it's just my instant reaction and she's like I don't even know why because usually she doesn't even like 
relate or like like oh that's cool but could you have done this or why don't you come home to see me or like she doesn't even like get the reaction that she wants from her mom but that's her instant gut thing to do is to call home and I realized mm-hmm. that I have that as well again never get like the reaction I'm looking for but she was saying and, and I agree it was she was like I just want to relive it and I want to like relive this great thing and that's like the way my brain thinks I can and usually like (coughs) she's not even met with that so I feel like social media this is a really long way of saying that but I feel like social media can kind of be that it's like I want to share this because I want to like I want to relive it because it's so great absolutely absolutely I mean there's a reason I think that home movies became so popular whenever you could like when you could have a camera and like hang on I have to see sorry um, or maybe I don't hang up. Oh, hey, here it comes. Oh, Look at the light. I uh, heard that helps. That like made me actually have to stop sneezing. Oh, so no. now that, that's even no, no, no. It's even better. That's great. Uh-huh. Anyway, so um, I think that the reason that it became so popular is because when you have a great moment, or when you have something that you want to remember because it was worth remembering, you want to record it because you want to relive it. And that was something that humans couldn't even do before. Like, I mean, it's literally been in the past century that you could even do that. But I think that that is something that I mean, that's the reason that people write. That's the reason that people draw. That's because you're recording these, the idea or the feeling or the this thing. Like, we want to hold on to moments. And I think that that's totally And I think that that urge, plus the fact that, like, I've always been, like, a documentarian. Like, I, I actually, um, my undergrad degree is in film and video production. And I always have loved, like, just watching people be as they are I think it's so fascinating and I love being able to that's why I like um the two apps that I really really like that um even if I didn't use them for like my the full like for my social channels the apps that I think that I would continue to use are snapchat and specifically instagram stories because I love that you can like just it's like putting together your own little documentary film that only lasts for 24 hours and then you can go back and watch it and it's what happened to you that day and it's so interesting and I love um I love it like that that's why I like it um and I don't feel weird about it because it's just a fun thing to do it's like it's like a project to me so that I'll see things and like and like sometimes the shots are weird and sometimes it's like it's not like really well composed but I'm and then sometimes I'll try to really compose them and but most of the time I'm just like collecting it in the way that feels good and I think that um that process is really cathartic and there are definitely days where like I'll record everything that happens and then I'll go back and watch it just to watch it to see like oh what happened and I love watching it clip by and it's for that exact reason that you that um that you and that person that y'all were talking about where you just want to relive it and you want to feel it again and I remember one thing one day in particular that I was um so last winter I went on a teaching tour of the west coast and I was dating somebody who lived in San Diego and we ended our tour in Los Angeles and we'd been on tour for quite some time and I was like very very ready for a break and when I got to and I went down to San Diego for That's a week funny I'm there right now was, I don't live there oh, really? but yeah it's so funny <laughs> well I um, 
Yeah, exactly. Well, the universe does, but I um, it was. We went to um, what is the name of that beach? Uh, Coronado. We went to Coronado Beach and we ate mushrooms and like we're out on the beach and we're just like tripping all day and I took all these videos of us like of me like practicing yoga on the beach while they we dug we found this giant hole that somebody had dug and then we made it a little bit bigger and then just like got in it just high (laughs) and we took all these videos and pictures and I remember and I'm not dating this person anymore and I I don't feel like um I have nothing but positive feelings for them and but I feel like I saved that video and every time, like I'll look at it sometimes and I'll just be like, oh, that was such a great day. You know, it was dope. And I can, and it's gone now and I don't need for it to come back. I don't need to do it again. But it's so, it feels nice to remember something that felt really good. Yes, yes, 100%. Mm -hmm. That's exactly how I felt about that day recently too. And it's like, I've I've also had the opposite of that. And so I feel like it's, you know, yeah, I was glad I was in the moment, and we get it, presents, we get it, we love <laughs> yoga, but sometimes it's really nice to have that, and Absolutely. I don't know, yeah, I, it's just good no, to I kind of talk agree. about these things and know that, like, I'm not alone, and we all wrestle with him. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally, and especially because it's really easy to heap on the judgment when it comes to social media, to be like, oh my gosh, I know that I should be engaging more. I know that I should be like doing blah, blah, blah. But then there are some definite positives. And I think that that's one of them yeah. for sure. Yeah, I feel like we really like, we can land the plane about social media. I feel like we really like talked about all the aspects of it. I feel good about, um, I'm glad we fully had this conversation in both sides of it. Dope. <laughs> um, okay, so now we can start talking about you. Hi. <laughs> we must, we must. Um I so okay so where did you grow up you're from the south you said yeah I grew up in Greensboro North Carolina which is about an hour from where I live now which is Durham North Carolina okay cool and, uh, yeah are you from California no 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 I'm from Michigan actually and that's where I live oh, now okay. mm-hmm. yeah and, do you live in Detroit or do you live in- yes I do I live I live oh, okay. there um but I'm actually moving to New York um in June so yeah are you excited I kind of, (laughs) I am, but I'm also really nervous and terrified. Um, And that is kind of, I need to just focus on the excitement, I think, because I think the nervous and terrified part is unproductive, but that's where my mind goes. (laughs) You're human. Yeah, yeah. Um, Where are you moving to New York? Why or where? Oh, why? Like, what's the theme? Well, um, I've never lived outside of Michigan, so I just figured it would be a good, like, I keep saying this, but, like, a good life episode. Like, I feel like it will grow me as a person, and it will just be interesting, and I have a work opportunity there, and I just, yeah, I kind of want to see what happens. Yeah, that's dope. That's dope. That's a great reason. Thank you. I I don't know what a bad reason is. I mean, I guess I can think of a few, but. I think that's a great reason Thank because you. we all need change, you know, and it's like, I think that the motivate, this is not even where you were maybe going to go with this, but like, I think that, um, again, because we live in a society that is where we identify as who, like what we do is who we are, that when it, when you change, 
change location or something, it's like, oh, so it must be because of work. It must be because you're going to make more money. It must be because of like, like, what's the, what's the reason, you know? Yeah. And it's like, the reason is that life is long or maybe it's actually short. And in the time that you spend here, you should spend it experiencing things yeah. and that it's important to change your location and change, even if it's just like even if changing your location is just like getting out of your house but it's important to change your location so that you can see new things and experience new things and and really feel what it means to be alive instead mm. of just working in the same circuits over and over again even though yeah i feel like i very much understand people who are like nope i found my rhythm i'm gonna stay right over here yeah. i'm gonna talk to these people you know you know what i mean yeah I mean, so I think Two that's sides, my that's think my it's... default. I think is to do that, and and I think that that's okay sometimes. But I think it's like I'm in the phase of my life where I want to shake it up, and I want to kind of see what happens. And I'm doing this as like an experiment on myself, you know. And I don't know. I've been saying this, but someone said to me once that stagnation is really the only thing to fear, and. And I don't 100%. know if that's true, you know, for everyone. I think sometimes people are really comfortable with where they are and that's fine. And like they, they don't need to move across the country or move to a new city and like that's cool. But I think for me and for my yeah, right. I know tons of people like that, but for me, I I do, I think. I, I think for me to be okay in the world, I I I do have to kind of do this. So anyway. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. So you were saying, and now you're, um, you're, you're traveling a bunch and, you know, you're based there, but you were saying that, um, you know, with this book tour and kind of everywhere that you're going, I want to kind of go back a little bit to, I heard recently because I kind of spent the day with you listening to you on other podcasts, which was lovely, (laughs) but I heard you say that you um got into yoga in high school and at first you hated it can you talk about that a little bit yeah well I actually I didn't get into it until I was in graduate school but I tried it for the first time when I was in high school and my aunt was really really into Bikram yoga at the time and Bikram is very much like I say that it's cult-like in a very loving way, like not in a, I don't, I don't mean to ostracize anyone who's in a cult or to say that I think that whatever, I just, nothing bad about it, but it's very much like you drank the Kool-Aid. So she's like, oh my God, you'll love it. It'll change your life. It's going to just make you feel so great about yourself and such good exercise, blah, blah. And you know, I'm fat, 16. Why not go to yoga class? Sure. Sounds great. Like you're paying, so why not? Mm-hmm. And I went and I hated it. It was like, even now, I still think of it as one of the worst experiences of my life. I talk about it in Everybody Yoga, how I was like, <clears throat> excuse me, this is a style of hot yoga where the room is about 104 degrees and you're sweating profusely from every single orifice of your body. And you're like very, um, it's, it means that your mind becomes a little bit foggy and that you're, um, it's just, it's a very intense experience. And I found that the breathing was just impossible. I could not understand how people were actually breathing normally in the room. And then the breathing that you start the class with is, um, it's fairly intense pranayama breathing. And 
it made me feel like I was going to die. I was like, how are you doing? Like everyone else in the room is just like, you know, doing it like it's normal. And I was just like, what the fuck? And then I made it like maybe a third of the way through the class. And then I was like, um, I'm good on this. And I left the room, which they tell you not to do because you will get nauseous. And, um, I got nauseous when I came back into the room from the air conditioned lobby. And after that, I was like, I'm good on this. I'm not doing yoga. I have, I know it's not for me. And then when I was in graduate school, uh, so this was seven years later, um, I was going through a really difficult time. I had come to a place where I just felt very disconnected from the work that I was doing. I was studying nonprofit arts management and it's very, very emotionally um, draining work. You're constantly like, it's just, it's very emotionally draining work. That's, that's what I'll say about it. And it also, um, because I was studying it in school, as a, in addition to working in arts organizations, academia is very, and the rhetoric surrounding arts management was very elitist. And I just felt like I was constantly having these like obnoxious conversations about like you know how do we up here the arts elite attract the peons to our ballets and to our operas and to you know and so I was just like what the fuck am I even doing like what is the purpose I just I can't and so I was basically having like a mid-20s crisis right and I'm already prone to depression so I just found myself like slipping into Mm. this cycle and also I had been dating the same person since I was in high school and like this was the girlfriend that I came out with so of course the end of that relationship was just like it was like cataclysmic Mm -hmm. and so I was in a very very dark place and one of my classmates one of my friends she was like she had consumed the Bikram yoga Kool-Aid and she was like oh my god you'll love it it's gonna change your life Bikram yoga is amazing And I was like, I'm not doing that because I tried it before and I knew it wasn't for me. And then she convinced me mostly because they had a Groupon special at the studio. So it was like, I mean, what is there? There's not, I'll lose $30, whatever. And I went and I loved it. Everything about it was exactly the same. It was still hot as fuck. The poses were still impossible. I was still the fattest person. Like it was very, very difficult. But I didn't realize that, um, consciously on a day-to-day basis but I was not giving myself the space to challenge my um to challenge my reality on a day-to-day basis I'm just like waking up go to school go to work have the same conversations go to sleep wake up do the exact same thing over again I was just sleepwalking through life and yoga gave me the space to like jump over hurdles and to try new things and to um to fail into because I I spent my life in fear of failure, and to say you know, yeah I can't do this yoga pose, and yeah it's hard as fuck, and I'm real sweaty, and this is terrible, but you, you know what I already paid my money, so why don't I just give it a shot? And yeah I might fall down, but I'm just gonna give it a shot. And then when I try, and I fall down. But then I'd pick myself back up again and try again. That shit was transformational for me mm-hmm. because I was not doing that in my day-to-day life. I was not like, you know, when I fall down, I would just stay down and then I'd crawl over to something that seemed like I could accomplish it. And then I would go for that instead. I wasn't 
picking myself up from the things that that I could not accomplish and trying until I could accomplish them. And it translated into really big changes in my life because I was like, you know, if I'm jumping over hurdles here in these poses and I'm, I'm going further in the asana, what, where else in my life can I go further? What else can I do? And it really did, it, it really did change my life in a very big way. Mm. So you, you're doing the group on, you keep going and (laughs) you've, you know, you start really liking it. When did you know that you wanted to teach or make it a career and then start sharing on social media? Well, I had no ambition to teach at all. I had no, I I was not thinking about this at all. Like I, uh, after that first month of unlimited Groupon classes, I couldn't afford to practice in studios. So I did a work study at the studio that I was going to where I had to practice like, um, I want to say we had to practice four to five times a week and you had to clean the studios, but you could practice for free. And so I was practicing a lot and it gave me a lot of confidence. It made me confident enough to leave grad school, which is making me so miserable and move to Durham. And when I moved to Durham, I didn't have any money. I could not afford to practice in studios. I didn't have a job. Like I found myself and there weren't work study opportunities readily available. And so I stopped practicing yoga for a while for a couple months. And um, during that time, um, some sad things happened. My aunt passed away unexpectedly. I talk about this in the book. Mm. Um, my, I don't talk about that my then ex, my then girlfriend's brother passed away. My um, grandma passed away. It was just a lot. Wow. And I found myself slipping back into that place of depression that I've been in before. And I thought, you know, what was making me feel better before? I mean, this is this isn't like a conscious thought at the time, but like this is essentially what was happening. I was like, what was making me feel better? Yoga? Okay, I just got to figure out a way to do this to some degree. And so I started practicing like eight to ten postures from the Bikram sequence that I felt comfortable with, and I'd practice them at home. And it just became this medicine that I would give myself. Where I would be like, I got to take my yoga. You know, I got to do my yoga. Like it's gonna, it's gonna make me feel better. And as time went on, I'm doing this at home, and I'm only practicing the poses that I know. But Instagram had like just come out, and there really weren't that many people on it. And I had it, but I was just like, I just had like pictures of my cat on there. It wasn't really that. um, I wasn't really utilizing it. And. I noticed that there were some yoga people on there and they were predominantly very serious practitioners and teachers. And I mean, now there's tons of people on Instagram, but this was like, just, there were very few people. There weren't really a lot of challenges. There weren't brands on there pimping everything out. Like it was serious practitioners logging their practices and giving each other alignment tips and feedback. And it was basically like, you know, just a community of yoga friends. And because I was practicing at home, I was very isolated and I wanted to feel like I was a part of a larger community and I wanted to get alignment tips from people. And so I started taking photos so that I could log my practice. But I noticed over time that the response I was getting wasn't really from people saying like, oh my gosh, you know, like you should move your hand here or judge your foot out here or, you know, pour your weight in here it was people saying oh my god I didn't know fat people could do yoga and all I could think was 
why do you think fat people can't do yoga? There are so many fat people who do yoga. And like, I'm not the first fat black person to be doing yoga. And I was just like, maybe we have a visibility issue. So if I continue to, to you know, log my practice, check my alignment, all this, in addition to having this dope journal, I'll also, like, if anyone thinks that this doesn't exist, then they see that it does exist. And it took me a while to really recognize just how many people were watching me. And in that time, I had so many people reach out to me, like, because this is over years after a certain point. And um, I had so many people reach out to me, like, come teach me, come teach me. And it was coming from all over the world. And I didn't understand why I needed to be a yoga teacher, because there's literally thousands of yoga teachers. So I was like... I don't need to be a teacher. I mean, I was sort of teaching my friends at home, but I wasn't doing it. I wasn't trying to do it seriously. I would recommend other teachers. I would recommend other classes. Like, I was just like, this is not what I'm trying to do. And um, eventually I had enough people say it where I was like, okay, 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 I guess I'll go to teacher training. But like, I couldn't afford to go to teacher training. And I, I mean... I was like, maybe I'll do a GoFundMe, but then that just never materialized. And um, one time I was talking to my dad about it, and he has never given a fuck about any of this. Like, he does not respect social media. He does not care about Facebook. He doesn't care about um, yoga. He was pissed when I dropped out of grad school. He told me it was going to be the mistake of my life. And he was still, I think even to this day, is salty about, like, me you know just completely dismantling his idea of what i should be doing Mm -hmm. but um we were talking one day and by this point i'd had a fair amount of press notoriety and we were talking and he was like well your mom told me that you know something's going on with this yoga thing you know what what's going on you're in people and i was like yeah blah 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 you know da 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 and he's like well are you going to do something with this i mean are you going to be a teacher and i was like well, I don't have the money, you know, so, like, I don't know. I, I I don't know, maybe, but I just can't afford to go to teacher training. And then he's like, well, how much money does it cost? And I was like, it's $3,000. And he was like, well, what if I could find a way to get you $3,000? Would you go do it then? And I was like, if this dude, who is so anti-everything, if he's saying that I should go, then this is the universe saying that I need to do it. And, yeah. like, it was no small thing for me to go. I had to... um I mean, I had a day job and this was whatever. I had two day jobs and like I had to leave and um, be gone for a month. And I think of my practice and my life as very much before teacher training and after teacher Mm -hmm. training. Because what I realized during that period was that the reason there have to be so many yoga teachers And really the reason why all of us should be yoga teachers is because everyone has their own set of experiences that is unique and devastating and heartening and so complex. And that experience will be inspirational to someone. It may not be for everyone, but it could be for at least one other human being. And if you can be reflecting your own um reflecting your own search for truth within yourself really um living in the pursuit 
of an authentic life, then that is worth sharing with other people so that they can be inspired to do the same in their own life. And I had I had a number of experiences during um, during that month that really just transformed the way that I saw the practice and the way that I saw myself. And um, and ever since then, I've been like, like, I literally left teacher training and was like, okay, well, let me try to get to all the people who said that they wanted me to come teach them. Mm -hmm. And that's literally what I've been doing ever since. And I don't feel like. I am, um, I mean, I have, I have had so many different kinds of goals. I love, I'm interested in so many different things and I'm not the kind of person that's like, cause there are some people who are like, I'm going to be a yoga teacher and I'm going to set out to do this and this can be a great career move for me. I never felt that way. And it was not something that I aspired to do. And as a result, I just feel like I'll do it until I'm not meant to do it anymore. And then I'll stop doing it. But yeah. for now, clearly, I'm supposed to be doing it. Mm. Do you remember the first yoga class you taught? I do. What did that um, feel or like? This, like? Really scary and nerve wracking. I mean, like the first official class to people that I did not know. <laughs> um, very um, nerve wracking because I think that whenever you learn anything in America at least you're coming from this mentality of like I have to do it exactly right and I have to make sure that people get the point of like get the objectives that I set out before the class even started and so my first class I was definitely like wanted to like stick to my stick to my plan stick to my sequencing like I sequenced in advance want to make sure that Everyone gets a good yoga experience, you know, but that is such a subjective idea. And I think that um, it really only took me like one class to be like, yeah, I I don't want to, I don't need to feel nervous about this because this is being nervous is the opposite of what you're trying to feel. Like you want to be living authentically and being in the moment and being okay with yourself and being okay with being in the moment so that you can reflect that to the other people who are there. And um, that's definitely something that has, while it took me like one class to figure out uh, what I did not want to feel or what I did not want to do, it is, I feel like I'm learning every single time that I uh, step in front of a room of people. Yeah. Always learning something new. I think people pick up on whatever energy you bring into the room Anyway, and I remember having that that same thought of like, especially like with my the playlist that I would make for class, I would be like, mm-hmm. I'm just gonna play what I like because there's no way that I can please everyone no matter what I play. Exactly. So I'm just gonna do what I like and makes me feel comfortable. And then you know some people like it, some people won't. But there's something like, and the thing I remember from when I asked you that question, I thought of this. But the first time I taught was just say I think I said like lift your right leg to the sky or something and just watching a room of like you know 20 people do what I said it was like whoa I could tell them anything right now and they'll do it it was just a weird moment of like (laughs) that hitting me (laughs) I feel like um, I've I've always been like a fairly bossy person so it was not like I was like you know I don't know. I don't, I think what you're describing is a very interesting experience. And I'm like, I'm 
I just think it's very interesting. <laughs> not, in any, not with any connotation on that. Just like, it's no, just very yeah. How mm-hmm. often do you teach now? You know, you've got your book, which I want to mm-hmm. talk about too, that's coming out and you're traveling a lot. Do you teach in Durham? Do you teach when you travel? What, tell me everything. I teach literally all time. I mean, the thing is like in the world that, in the modern yoga world, I think that anything other than a regular teaching schedule at certain studios is seen as bizarre. But like, I think that what we're moving toward more is like travel teaching kind of model. And in that model, it just kind of varies depending on the week. Mm -hmm. So when I was not traveling so much, I taught a very full week of classes. Like I taught three group classes and a bunch of privates during the week. And then on the weekends, I would teach workshops in different cities. So it was basically like, I'm either working I'm either teach, I'm, I might be teaching and then I'm also like traveling to another location to teach something. It's just like a lot. And now it's gotten to a place where I teach not necessarily every week, but definitely like on a pretty frequent basis. And it's also not just teaching like a group class it's teaching online so like last week for example i was in seattle shooting a um, a video series and like that's a whole week of classes no one is in the class but i'm teaching no one is physically in the class but i'm teaching to a camera which is a whole that is a student and it and should be considered a student mm-hmm. and that is its own kind of experience and then like teaching it just it so depends and in the tour there's a lot there are a lot of classes woven in like in new orleans salt lake um dallas new york um there's a bunch of different ones but um and then even in the speeches that i do there's some seated breathing and sometimes movement and i think that anytime I tend to think that I'm teaching most of the time that I'm in front of other people. Like, it just depends on what format that takes. Yeah. What advice do you have for yoga teachers or, and just people in general in their lives, I guess, but yoga teachers for cultivating a body positive yoga room? Mm, I feel like I get asked this a lot by teachers who are like, listen, I love all kinds of people and I want a diverse class too. I don't understand why people think that I'm not body positive. Like, what can I do to make this more clear? And I'm always thinking like, dude, I don't know what to tell you because really the reality is that like, I'm just trying to create space where everyone feels comfortable. Like, and that means because so often in the yoga world, like there's this, there are all these unspoken rules where it's like, where people feel like there are unspoken rules about what you're, what you can wear, how you can move your body, what your hair should look like, how much you should be sweating, how much you should be farting, what, what the you can is, eat, even what you can eat exactly, like what um, I mean, there's just so many different things, and my rule of thumb is to just not have any rules like there there are no rules you just show up as you are and even if you don't get out of child's pose even if you just sit and watch the whole time that's your yoga for the class that's it 
And I think that a lot of times there's a tendency to feel like your ability as a teacher um, is only measured by how well you can execute and instruct asana. And I think that that leads toward obsessively picking out things like problems with the way that people practice their asana so that as a teacher it's like you're you're teaching really well if you are showing someone like really how they should be practicing the posture in order to get the most uh, benefit from it but the reality is that this person especially like a brand new practitioner they do not need your eyes on them all the time they don't need you obsessively staring at them especially if they're fat bodied or if they have mobility issues or because when you draw so much attention to them that's just making them resent themselves resent you and resent the practice and then that leads to not having a body pause environment and I think that when you encourage comparisons, when you like, like, um, pick out students in the class and say like, so-and-so is doing so well, or like, when you say like, um, like, I mean, there's just so many different things where you create hierarchy, where you create rules and we do it unintentionally because it's a product of, again, like Western education standards. But I think that the hardest thing for me to accept as a teacher, and I know that it must be difficult for everyone, is that my practice is not the practice of my students. And regardless of the experience that I think that someone should have or could have, they're going to have the experience that they need to have. And all I need to do, the my only thing that I need to do is make space for them to have that experience. That if all they want to do is cry on their mat, they should feel like it's okay to do that. Or if they need to use a ton of props and no one else is using props, they should feel like it's cool to do that. I don't even think it's necessary that you constantly give like prop cues. Cause that's another thing that people tend to think that like, if you're fat bodied and you're a yoga teacher, then that is why you, um, that's why you can have a body pause environment because you know about what it's like to be in a different body. I'm not saying that that, um, I'm not saying that that's not a benefit because the reason that I know that the, the reason I know that this feeling feels good is because this is the feeling that I've always wanted to feel when I'm in a studio. Cause I felt like people are staring at me. I felt like the teacher is giving me like a lot of attention and it's making me feel self-conscious. Like I do get that experience, but I don't think that that's necessary to, foster this kind of space because the teachers I've had that have been the most body pause the mo have made me feel the most comfortable where their spaces feel the most safe it's frequently teachers and in particular the the two teachers I'm really thinking of they are and I'm only going to talk about one of them specifically his name is Michael Johnson he is a white cis heterosexual guy who lives in Asheville like six foot three, very slender, looks like, and he has a beautiful, strong asana practice, arm balance all day. And he is so authentic and so genuine and so true to himself and so forgiving of, and so just like compassionate toward himself and very open about his history with abuse and with, um, with, just like he's he's been through some shit and he's so honest with that 
and so genuine that it makes a space where it's okay to be honest with yourself and it's okay to be genuine. And he does not, he has not had the experience of being fat bodied in yoga classes. Like this is not a thing. So I don't think that, I don't think it's necessary to have, you know, felt different, but everybody is going through some shit. Everyone needs to feel like they can have a safe space. And I think that really all you're trying to do is just foster a safe space. Yeah. Mm, so well said. Yeah, it's about empathy. Exactly. Oh, yeah. What about on the other side of that about students and people who l- might not ever want to or think that they can't try yoga because of the body that they're in and getting into comparison? What advice do you give people in that situation? <sighs> I mean, we are constantly comparing ourselves against one another. And it's hard to say, like, it's it's hard for me to say that all you, that what you really need to do is just get over it. Because I understand that, like, you can't just get over it. This is like, a, you, it's not just going to be like, oh, you know what? I don't want to think about what other people think of me. Oh, now I don't anymore. Like, it doesn't work that way. But at the same time, the only thing that is going to work is if you just start to acknowledge that anyone who would make you feel bad about yourself feels bad about themselves. And they are concerned about the way that other people see them. And they're just, we all are constantly reflecting shit onto one another. They're just reflecting that onto you. So if you can say, I'm not going to be concerned with how other people feel about themselves, then you can start to think, hmm, how do I feel about myself? And it's like, if you are in a yoga class and you're worried that people are going to stare at you and you're worried that you're going to be the fattest person or the tallest person or the like person with the most roles, I don't know what, all the different things. If you're worried about that, you just have to think like, you know what? People are going to stare at me because that, that's what's going to happen. They're going to stare at you. You have to accept that. You can't think that, and you can't say that like, this is a bad thing. People look at what they don't understand. And just because someone looks at you doesn't mean that you don't deserve to be present. And this is something that I have come to after obviously quite a bit of like meditation and practice. But I also think that even from the very beginning, if you just catch yourself in one moment of saying, you know what, I don't care. That one moment is going to get you in the door or that one moment is going to get the mat rolled out. And that's all you really need is that one moment. Because once you get there, you can, you can stay there. Like you can leave, but you can also stay. And recognizing that you play a conscious role in your own reality, you play a conscious role in your own happiness and whether or not you're going to feel comfortable. If you can stay in that space, then it's a lot easier to um, to accept and to um, and to move forward and to try new things. And um, I, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I'm talking a lot. No, that was so, that was lovely, and it's kind of like we were talking about at the beginning about you know, if you do it one time in the Uber, you know, n- not disengaging Mm -hmm. and just looking out the window and being okay with that same thing as going to a class like it just 
if you do it one time, you can remember how that felt and it's easier to do it again. Exactly. So I want to ask you the questions that I ask everyone, but first tell us about your book and how it came to be and what the process of, of writing it was like. It's beautiful. And I'm just so happy that it exists. Um, but tell us what it was like for you and what it feels like, you know, for it to be out in the world now. Well, basically, I since I started posting on social media, I've had so many people like Instagram me and Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr and email always asking, like, how did you start practicing yoga? How can I start practicing yoga? Like, I just I've always wanted to do it. And I see that you're doing it. And I just want to do it. And I'm always thinking, how the fuck do you think I could possibly answer that question right now? Like, I don't I don't have time to write you every single thing that I that it took for me to do this. And furthermore, why don't you just look it up on Google, you could have put this question into Google. And then when I would Google it and be like, what comes up if you just are like, beginner yoga or how do you start practicing yoga or what is yoga it was so confusing i'm like yo i know the answer to these questions and i don't even like this google search is so damn confusing is it a religion is it um (coughs) is it an exercise thing do i need to move to india what's meditation like i don't get it (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly hashtag unclear and so i was like I get why people are asking this question and I also don't like people ask me to recommend books to them and I'd be like I can't recommend a book and then I was like I should just write the book honestly and that's how the book came to be and so it's really because I mean I cannot tell you I have an inbox that is stuffed full of this particular question from so many people so if someone is listening to this and they sent me this email that was never responded to i'm so sorry but my response is this book because now now i've answered how do i start practicing yoga and the thing is a lot of people think that when they're asking how do i start practicing yoga that they're really asking what do i buy so i can start practicing yoga or like what classes should i take what style should i do what what is the right answer and you're asking that but you're also asking how did you Jessamine, a fat black girl how did you start practicing yoga and how did you keep practicing yoga and my answer to that question is not bullet points. It's, I have to tell you why I started practicing yoga and the things that happened to me in my life. And, and so that's why the book is like, it's part instructional, but also part memoir. And I talk about my struggles with body image and the things that happened in my family and things that are not so, and my problems with, with love and with, um, substance abuse and those stories are not like so it's not like wow your life was so terrible oh my gosh so many things have happened it's just like damn that's happened to me that's happened to me like anyone could read that book and be like I've had this kind of thing happen to me and I think that that is so important as modern yoga evolves because so many people think that in order to practice yoga that you have to be like really flexible and really happy and really serene and that like 
you know, that that is what roots a yoga practice. But I don't know anyone with a serious practice who did not, that whose practice is not rooted in the fact that they're fucked up in some way, yeah. that they have some kind of emotional abuse, some kind of physical injury, something happened to you that you can't get over. And therefore, or some things happen to you that you can't get over. And the yoga is helping you to move into yourself and to move away from those things. And I think that, um, excuse me, it's really important that teachers, all teachers, tell the truth about themselves, the bad and the good, not being just like selective about what you show to people, because that's how people will really be inspired to practice because they see themselves in you. Mm. And to me, um, writing the book itself was a very cathartic process. It made me relive and revisit a lot of things that I have buried in my life. And I think that um, just in terms of like working shit out, it was very helpful in that way. And I also feel like I am, as much as I am excited about this book, I'm also very much like I have, it's like I had that baby and now I'm now I'm moving on from that baby. You know what I mean? So it's weird to me like the, the promotion is happening now because it's like, I feel like I had a baby last year. I had this yeah. book last year and now I'm mentally on to the next baby and I'm like, what? there's other things that are coming out of me other things and then i'm like oh shit we we haven't promoted this book yet okay whoa okay wow still this book okay cool hi yes so it's a a bit weird but um yeah did that answer your question no it totally (laughs) did and i relate to that that part about having to kind of you're you're like okay i'm mentally on to the next thing but i'm still talking about this thing that i wrote a year ago it's kind of an interesting thing so, okay, so we talk a lot, you mentioned that this is in the book, but we talk a lot in this podcast about body image, and I would love to know kind of where you are with that now, and if you ever still have a bad body image, what I call like a bad body image moment, or hopefully not day, but how do you shift out of that? What are some of your like um, mental tips or that you would tell people? To just be really conscious of it, like we were talking about before, just like acknowledging that you had the moment where you did not feel good about yourself and say, or where I did not feel good about myself and just be like really focusing on the positive and excuse me, and trying to analyze why am I feeling like I'm not happy right now? Or why do I feel unsatisfied right now? And frequently, if you really ask these questions of yourself, there are things that are going on that are making you unhappy with with whatever kind of, because it's so true that this is a journey. And I really do think of um, self-body hate as a, um, it's very much an addiction. And I feel like it's an addiction that I fed into from a very young age and have spent decades becoming really, really good at. And as an adult, I feel like, excuse me, I'm very much um, still in recovery from that and still feeling like, you know, every day is a new day. I'm always like having to remind myself that the opinions of others do not matter. It's not something where it's like one day you turn the corner and you 
never look back and you always feel good. It is a day by day thing. And I think that when I, like, let's say that I'm out to eat and I can tell that someone is like paying attention to the food that I eat or I'm wearing clothes that are very revealing and I know that people are looking at them. I just have a tape that plays in my head and I remind myself, I don't care what other people think. It doesn't matter. Don't, I mean, it's like a conscious thing. Like I'm pushing the tape deck in my mind. I don't need the opinions of other people. I don't, why do you care what other people think? Who cares? Be happy. You were happy when you left the house. So you're happy now, right? Like these kinds of things, because otherwise it's so easy to just slip back into those patterns. And before you know it, you've been like shit talking yourself for a whole day or a whole week or a whole month or a year or whatever. And you can't get that time back where you could have just been happy with yourself, at least for, at least for moments, even if you're like constantly flip flopping back and forth, just trying to stay in a place of satisfaction is uh it's work mm. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But that awareness is key for any awareness anything. is key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. How do you define your feminism and have you always been a feminist? How did you find it? <clears throat> um I did not always consider myself to be a feminist. Um I don't think I really started to understand what feminism is until I was in college. And then I, and then I became militant. (laughs) And I think that, um, in the last few years, my feminism has become much more nuanced. And I think that it's because I have really started to notice, um, I've really started to notice that the intersection of my blackness and my queerness and my womanhood, whatever that, however that manifests, um, that these things, the, the cross, the cross section is very different from where things cross in the typical definition of feminism. Because when we talk about feminism frequently, we're really talking about white feminism. Mm. And I think that for me, starting to understand that like, yeah, it's okay that I don't agree with everything that every feminist says, that I don't. And especially because um, like, I'm very much, I don't even know if, what is it called? Like, so there's, I mean, there's second wave and then there's post second wave. And then I'm like, is there a name for post second wave? Or is there like, is it, are we at third wave yet? Because I really feel like if we're not at third wave, then I'm definitely third wave where it's like, I don't, um, there, I find myself, um, questioning some aspects of, feminist theory and it's mostly just because I um it's because I can't afford to quite frankly because I have because my generation lives in a time that is different than the generation before and because I grew up watching MTV and watching like Britney Spears and Madonna make out on TV and that like my understanding of this world is very different than the second wave or even the post second wave and um, and I think that when you add all the other qualities in, it makes for, it's a volatile cocktail. 
but I mean, I absolutely consider myself, still consider myself to be a feminist. It's just with more baggage than I had before. Yeah, and really focusing on the intersectionality that every feminist should be thinking of if they actually are a feminist. If that makes sense. But it's hard to, you know, when you're yeah. like, when we're all in our own unique journeys, like I don't begrudge anyone who is like, doesn't have the same views of, as me because like, why would you, you know, I think the, the, I think the most important thing that we can all do and the thing that happens the least is listen to one another mm-hmm. and listen without feeling as though you're under attack and not listen, not listening, like with thinking, how can I gain from this? just listening and not and not listening like well who had it worse so whoever had the worst scenario the worst experience then we'll fight on your behalf no everybody is dealing with their shit and i think that we just need to be doing more listening to one another yeah yes 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 (laughs) i could listen to you all day (laughs) i could probably talk all day but i could talk to you all day too (laughs) you know this is great um so the book that I wrote was was actually about journaling. And so I always ask people that come on the show, is um, writing something that helps you or is that cathartic to you? Have you ever journaled? Um, for me, it's something that helps me kind of get to know myself better. What is your kind of relationship, if you have one at all, to, to writing and journaling? Yeah, I'm a chronic journaler and I have been for the vast majority of my life. And I okay. have always used it as a way to just kind of work things out and to see things a little bit more clearly. And I've always reverted to writing as the way that I can most easily communicate. It's a lot easier to me than um, speaking. But I think that now my journaling is, I mean, it's evolved because I've always kept a lot of journals depending on like what's going on and where it's I keep a lot and like I always have one in my bag that I can just write shit down and so that I know that I can get it down and then I have a meditation journal that is I don't read it but it's just like it's so stream of conscious like I don't I don't read it because I don't think it's particularly helpful for me to read the things that I write in it but it's also if somebody picked it up it would probably be completely nonsensical and then um I keep a journal that's like a little bit more of a, like, I don't, I don't keep anything where I write every day, but I do like, like I'll record conscious thoughts, not just like, Oh, I don't want to forget to jot this down and not this is stream of consciousness, but just like more composed. And then I have a lot of different online things where like, I used to keep multiple blogs where I would just like, that was, that was, that's always been one of my favorite ways to journal because then I can look back at it really easily and look like, look back at a bunch of different things. But I just think it's extremely cathartic and very, um, and it's funny though, because actually, never mind. Never mind. Yeah. A whole nother can of worms. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll talk about that next time. We'll put a pin in that. Cool. We'll talk about it next time. Yeah, I definitely, obviously, also find it cathartic, and I'm just always curious about other people's relationship to it. So um, I have a few more quick-fire questions for you, but first, what else or what other advice do you have other than journaling 
It sounds like you meditate. Like, how do you handle stress? We kind of talked about it before a little bit with the awareness, but journaling, yoga, I'm sure, meditating. Are you in therapy? What are, like, some thoughts you tell yourself? Any other, like, advice for handling stress? Um, <clears throat> just, like, taking a minute. And, I mean, my biggest way to relieve my stress is to just sit quietly with my eyes closed. And it doesn't even have to... I mean, because meditation is really just breathing and it doesn't have to move into a full meditation session, but just taking 10 full breaths is a game changer for me often. Because a lot of times I'm when I feel stressed out, it's because I'm not breathing. And, um, and also, because of the kind of work that I do, and I already am prone to anxiety, like really bad anxiety I've been a like really bad nail biter my whole life and like I always have little ticks it's very important for me to find things that will calm me down and so I smoke a lot of weed that's how and also because of the kind of work that I do where I'm constantly having to wear all of these different hats and having to talk to so many different people and really like be so, like absorbing other people's anxieties and then also teach yoga at the same time. Yeah. I feel like for me, I really appreciate marijuana. And it's so fucked up because when you start talking about smoking weed, then people are like, oh my God, you're a stoner. You don't care about yourself. Yeah. You, you're you just, you know, it's a, and it's like, you're just regurgitating what society has taught you about this drug, yeah. but really it's just the same. Like if I said, I, if I, if I said I use Prozac, no one would say anything. Right. And, but if I say I smoke weed, then it's like, Oh my God. So, you it's know, so fascinating. I was just thinking yeah. about that today. Actually, I was, I was lying on the beach having that, that same thought about how and when that will change. And I think it depends on the, location and the people's baggage to that but you know I think it is changing slowly than you know what it has been but it's still it's so slow and it's just frustrating yeah yeah I mean it kind of is what it is but I feel like especially in North Carolina because it's so stigmatized still very stigmatized here it's very important for me to be open about it and to be, because we have to normalize at this point because there's so much misinformation and that's actually become like, that's my great um, cause outside of yoga is normalizing marijuana because, because I've seen so many people suffer with illnesses where they could have really at least felt better toward the end had they had like some THC oil or something. And it's just fucked to me that we live in this world where it's not okay to do that. And then also there are a lot of yoga teachers who are like, well, I don't like to smoke weed because I think that it clouds me. And I think that it like makes the experience less pure. And I would agree with that statement. Honestly, like I do think that it changes the experience, but I don't think it necessarily changes it for the, for the worse. So yeah. I think kind of figuring out what makes the most sense for you. And for some people, that's not going to be a thing. But for me, it is extremely helpful, especially yeah. because of the life that I lead. And especially with pain, too. I my my best friend who I'm actually here with now has terrible back pain and it really helps her in 
with her pain. And I have another friend who, like, on their period, like, it's the one thing that she has endometriosis, and it's the one thing that can help her. So I think it's exactly. just, you know, talking about those things and these, like, really amazing uses for it is helping with the normalization. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So where are you with spirituality and God? What do you think happens when we die? <laughs> this is just a little question. <laughs> yeah, no, right. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think about it. <laughs> that's, that's the main thing. And I don't think about it because I don't think that it matters. And I think that um, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. And I think that the one thing that I do know is that everything that we everything that we do is connected to some degree. It's just too this life is too poetic and there's too many moments of like mm, that's that's orchestrated somehow. There's just too many yeah. moments to not feel like this is moving together in some kind of tandem and I think that um <clears throat> For me, um, sorry, um, oh my goodness, sorry, I think that for me, um, I see the spirit that passes from my nose, from my lips to that of other creatures and then back again. And I think that, um, that kind of connection is so it's just so powerful and all-consuming and I can't be I can't think about anything more than that because even that is more than I can comprehend and I grew up in an extremely religious household and it made me very skeptical of religion for the first like for the majority of my 20s honestly and um I feel very different about that now and I think that religion is kind of its own thing it's not the same as spirituality I feel like I'm an extremely spiritual person but um I also feel like the religion that I was raised in the Baha'i faith I still feel a very strong connection to it and I do still feel like I'm a Baha'i I think that that's probably um an accurate way to characterize me. But at the same time, I do so many things that the highs are not supposed to do. Like I drink and I, um, I am openly queer, which is not something that is typically condoned in the Baha'i faith. And I think that, um, that made me feel like I had to be at odds with my faith, but you know, I think that people, you just kind of feel what you feel. And that could change with the day. And I don't think that you have to put a label on everything. And I don't think that everyone has to think the same thing. I don't think there's one way to feel about all this. And um, because at the end of the day, again, it doesn't matter because whatever's going to happen, is going to happen. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just going to focus on being happy here and trying to foster happy and, and present and truth and authenticity and that's all I can really do Mm, well said oh my gosh there are so many more things that I want to ask you and I didn't even get to ask you like a lot of the questions I ask everyone so we'll have to have another conversation someday but yeah I'm um, sorry I rambled but oh my god that was was amazing I loved it it was so great to talk to you too 
The name of this podcast is Let It Out. So when I offer that to you to let it out, is there anything else you feel like you didn't let out that you want to share? Or I just want to make sure we've like rung you dry and everything. <laughs> you feel complete and anything I else? definitely feel like I've listened to my own voice plenty for today, for sure. Okay, cool. Well, this was so much fun. And like I said, I, I think you're amazing and all the work that you're doing oh, is so important. I think important you're amazing. And, I think the wonderful. work you're doing is important. Yeah, and I think you're you. wonderful. Thank you. Cool. Thank you so much. Well, friends Thanks forever. For yeah. Yes. Cool. Forever and ever. Cool. Well, be safe out here. It was so nice to talk to you. It's and, so nice um, to talk to you, too. Keep in touch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hopefully, I'll get to meet you when you're in New York next, and I'm eventually there, yes. too. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It'll happen. Yes. I'll look forward to it. For sure. Cool. Well, we'll leave friends on the internet until then. Exactly. Cool. Well, have Don't. a good rest of your day. Good luck with the book tour and everything. <laughs> Thanks, Katie. Thanks. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Yes, bye. All right, that was my conversation with Jessamine Stanley, and I loved it. I hope you did too. I'm going to tell you the emoji to tweet at me, to Instagram at me, and let me know that you're still listening to me rambling. But first, let's talk about Care-of one more time. Remember, they're the supplement brand that I love that sends you curated packs of vitamins based on your nutritional needs, your lifestyle needs, and it's wonderful because not only is their packaging beautiful, which of course I love, not only do your personalized packs of vitamins say your name, but if you use my code Katie at checkout, you can get 50% off your first order. That's half off of your order. So try them out. It supports the podcast. It supports your body's function. It's fantastic. All right. Thank you again for listening. If you're still listening, the emoji for this week's episode is the water fountain it's just you know the water spout and the cup it's a new emoji i haven't seen it i haven't really had a chance to use it and it seems sort of random but you know it's a lovely emoji and we all should probably be drinking more water i know i should and maybe this will remind us and it'll be like a cool symbol that we send to each other reminding ourselves to drink more water so Send me that emoji this week if you think of it. That'd be cool. And if you want to support the show other than supporting the sponsor, you could also leave a review on iTunes, rate the show, share it with a friend, play it out of the speakers loudly in your car, and just have a really great week, you guys. I'll talk to you next week. Love you. Bye.